Our passage this morning is only one chapter of Leviticus, and a very important chapter it is. We read about the Day of Atonement, starting at chapter 16 from verse 1, for anyone who's wanting to follow along. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he's not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place, behind the curtain, in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law, so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood, and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat, for the sin offering of the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement uh, in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. 
is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh and intestines are to be burned up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who anointed and ordained, uh, <clears throat> the priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar and for the priests and all the members of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. So that is the Day of Atonement. That is, as I mentioned in our first week looking at the book of Leviticus, the heart of this whole book. The Day of Atonement is at the heart of what God is teaching his people through giving them this law. I mentioned in week one that we're doing this book now because Leviticus points us to Easter. Leviticus is what helps us to understand what it was that Jesus came to do for us at the cross. And every aspect of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, points us to the cross. We're going to look at three in particular this morning. The scapegoat, the high priest and the most holy place. But it's worth just quickly recapping in case, you know, some people had a bit of a difficult time following everything in all of that description and all of the detail about what the Day of Atonement was. At heart, the Day of Atonement was about being able to enter God's presence. The one time the high priest could come into the most holy place which this was what, well, this is more or less what the tabernacle would have looked like. And the Israelites could enter the courtyard 
where the sacrifices were made. And then there was the tent, and the first part of the tent was the holy place. And the priests could enter the holy place and offer incense and the showbread and other parts uh, of, of their offerings to God there. And then there was a room, the back third of that tent, the most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And that room was separated from the other room by a large curtain. And in a passage that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, two of Aaron's sons went behind that curtain and they died. And the issue that we've seen throughout the book of Leviticus is the difficulty of a holy God who cannot have sin in his presence any more than that there can be darkness in a bare room once you turn on the light. How can this holy God live with sinful people around him, with people who have darkness within them? How is God able to have relationship with us after the fall? And so this Day of Atonement is about the high priest being able, as a representative of the whole of the people of Israel, to enter into God's most holy place, It's about atoning for that holy place, making sure to cleanse it and and to make it acceptable to God and uh, to make offerings to, to make sure that there has been no uncleanness that will affect God's dwelling place. It's about atoning for the sins and the uncleanness of the priests and the people. Now, yes, they were supposed to come and bring sacrifices for the sin uh, if they'd uh, committed a sin, but there might have been all sorts of sins that people did without even realising. Uh, sins of the community that hadn't been sacrificed to cover. And so this, this day, this day of atonement, was to cover all of those things that might get missed and to make the Israelite community clean and holy in the sight of God. And it began with the high priest sacrificing a bull uh, for his own sins and the sins of his family. And, uh, and then he would bring incense into the holy place and put it on the fire before the Lord and then he would go into the most holy place with the sin from the the bull that he uh, with the blood from the bull that he had sacrificed and he would place some of that on the ark of the covenant uh, the the word that's uh, mentioned several times the atonement cover was the lid, the golden lid of the Ark of the Covenant, which had two golden angels, two golden cherubim, sitting upon it. And in a sense, the Ark of the Covenant was a box for keeping uh, the stone tablets, God's copy of the covenant that he had made with his people, as well as some other special items like Aaron's uh, staff that had budded and other things. But figuratively, in the way that God speaks about things, the Ark of the Covenant is his throne. This is the king's throne room, and the Ark of the Covenant is his throne. And so the high priest comes in, he places some blood on that throne, on the Ark of the Covenant, and then spreads some before it as an offering for any uncleanness. That, as we saw last week with all the laws of uncleanness, that you know, uncleanness spreads, and it was very important that they didn't defile the holy place, the tabernacle, the place where God dwelt among them. And then he would go out, he would uh, sacrifice 
one of the goats for the people. And he would come and bring that blood in. And then they would, he would confess the sins over the scapegoat. And we'll look at the scapegoat in just a minute and send that out into the wilderness. And then he would offer burnt offerings uh, given from him and from the people. So that's, that's in a nutshell the layout of the day of atonement. So why do I say that this festival is the heart of the book of Leviticus as a whole? And why does this day point us to the cross, which is for us the true day of atonement? The, th- the day that all of these aspects of the day of atonement were pointing forward to. And as I mentioned, I want to look at three key details of that day. Now we've seen a lot about sacrifices the last few weeks as we've been going over uh, the early parts of the book of Leviticus. Uh, really, you know, these sacrifices were a powerful and visceral reminder that the wages of sin is death. But they also taught the people that a substitute can take the punishment that we deserve and avert God's wrath upon us. That we don't have to pay that price of death if someone else can pay it in our place. Now we also saw very clearly that truly the the blood of animals never really took away sins. But they were teaching the people, the Old Testament community of God, to the idea that somebody, someone, can take away your sins, can pay the price that your sins deserve. Now, sacrifices, as, I've, as we've just uh, spelled out, they're a very important part of the Day of Atonement, but there's something new added, as well as the sin offerings and the burnt offerings, all of which we've seen already in Leviticus. Two goats are offered on behalf of the people, and lots are cast for them, kind of like sacred dice that they use to, to establish God's will in certain things. And whichever way they, uh, they did it, it would establish this one, is go- the two goats that were given for the Israelite community, this one's going to be sacrificed, this one's going to live as the scapegoat. Now this, the, other goat, the second goat lives and this high priest puts his hand upon the goat's head, confesses the sins of the nation of Israel, And then someone is given the job of driving the goat far away into the wilderness. And the two goats together give us a powerful symbol of substitutionary atonement. Now that's a phrase that we don't find uh, specifically said in the Bible, but it's a summary of so much of what the Bible teaches us about what the cross means to us, substitutionary atonement, that we are able to have relationship with God made at one with him, restored to relationship with him, because the offence that we have made against God has been paid by somebody else. And so the two goats together show us that substitutionary sacrifices are not just a way, well, are not at all a way of pacifying an angry God so that he doesn't smite us. We see this one that pays the price. The wages of sin is death. 
But the other is used to show that the sins of Israel have been carried far away from them. Those sins are not to be remembered anymore. But the sins have been taken outside the camp, outside the community, far into the wilderness. Those sins are gone. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's from Psalm 103. And that's an idea that's taught to Israel through the scapegoat that takes their sins far away. Likewise, Jesus' death in our place on the cross didn't just avert God's wrath against our sin, God's rightful anger against the rejection of him and all that he has made holy. It didn't just avert God's wrath, it has taken our sins away. 1 John uh, 3 tells us Jesus appeared so that he might take away our sins. In him is no sin. Colossians 2 tells us when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. God is not holding your past sins against you. God gave us the scapegoat to teach us that. God is not one of the... I'm I'm sure we've all, at one point in our life, had that argument with somebody that then turns into, well, in May of 1997, you said our past can come back to us, can't it? And sometimes we can hold on to the things that people have done in the past and others can hold on to the things that we've done in the past. And God, through the scapegoat, was showing us your sins have been taken far away. Now, of course, again, a goat cannot actually take our sins away. But it was an image of the one who is to come, the one who would take our sins away and would nail them to the cross so that we bear them no more. The scapegoat reminds us, and even the whole Day of Atonement, this idea of a day to cover over any of the things that we might have missed. We are more sinful than we know, each and every one of us. But we're also more loved than we can possibly imagine. And God wants to have relationship with us, wants to forgive us and take our sins far, far away. So the scapegoat points us to Easter and to the cross. But there's another part of the Day of Atonement that particularly points us to the cross. It's interesting to note, who does everything on the Day of Atonement? What did most of the people do on the Day of Atonement? They had to have a day of Sabbath rest. They had to do no work. And there are some commentators who think that the the, um, references to denying themselves might have referred to having a fast during the daylight hours of the Day of Atonement. But for the most part, that was it. Wherever they were 
Uh, whether in the wilderness at this point in Leviticus or you're in the towns of Israel by the time they came to the land, they would have a day of rest and to refrain from any work. They didn't offer sacrifices. They didn't enter the Holy of Holies. They, for them, the day was about stopping. To stop and to receive what was being done on their behalf. To stop and reflect on what that day was all about. It was the high priest that offered the sacrifices. It was the high priest that approached God on behalf of the people. And the same thing is true of our high priest. Now, over the last few weeks, I've taken us to Hebrews chapter 9 a number of times. If you want to make sense of the book of Leviticus, Hebrews 9 is possibly the best place to start. It is, uh, the author of Hebrews is spelling out to us how all of these things from the law point us to Jesus. And so I've read snippets from it, but I want to read a slightly larger section today from Hebrews 9. Now, the first covenant, everything we're learning about here in Leviticus, had regulations for worship and an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up, just like we saw before. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread, and this was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that was only once a year. This is exactly what we're reading about, the Day of Atonement. And never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, post-Jesus, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They're only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of, he of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so they're outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So, in this Old Testament, in the Day of Atonement, we have a picture 
that pointed us towards what Jesus was going to do for us. On that one day, the priest, high priest could enter the most holy place, a place where God dwelt in a special way among his people. Our high priest enters heaven, the place where God dwells in a very particular sense. And not with a sacrifice of a bull or a goat that he first had to offer for his own sins, but giving himself as a sacrifice, giving his blood, the blood of the only person who has lived without sin, but was far more than just a person. The Son of God made flesh in our place. We couldn't approach God with an offering suitable to cover our sin. We couldn't make our rebellion against God right. We couldn't fix the problem that we had made and the mess that we had made of the world. All we can do is receive what has been done on our behalf by our great high priest who enters the throne room of God. Now this Easter, that's what we do. Like the Israelites, we stop. And we can't make the sacrifices that will make us right before God. We can't... um, do all of the things that the high priest has done. But we stop and we accept and we receive what the high priest, Jesus Christ, has done on our behalf. And every time we have communion, we stop and we remember and we receive what Jesus has done on our behalf. The high priest on the Day of Atonement reminds us of what our high priest has done for us. And reminds us to put our trust in him to give us access, to be able to be in God's presence, to have relationship with him. And not to put our trust in our own efforts, our own works, our own goodness, but only in what Christ has done for us. Put our faith in the one who has opened the way for all of us to come into the most holy place to come into the dwelling of God. And that was, like I said at the start, that was at the very heart of the Day of Atonement. The one day that one man could enter the throne room of God. And that one day points us to the cross, the true Day of Atonement. Does anyone remember what happened immediately after Christ died on the cross to bear the penalty for our sins? The curtain was torn in two. Now, without Leviticus, the curtain being torn in two is just a weird detail that, uh, you know, that the, the disciples chose to retain in telling the story. With Leviticus, the curtain tearing in two tells us a tremendous amount. Because of the perfect sacrifice offered by the perfect high priest, there is no longer any need for a curtain to separate the holy place of God's dwelling from his people. God has come out from his throne room and there is now no barrier 
to people having relationship with him. Not because we're any better and more morally upright than the people of Israel were, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross. God has come out to dwell with his people. First there was the tabernacle. Then they upgraded it to a solid building, the temple. Then God came and dwelled among his people through Emmanuel, God with us. And then he went back to heaven. How does God dwell among his people now? How is God in our community? Well, the presence of God is in your workplace. The presence of God is in your school. The presence of God is in your home, in the shops that you go to. Because you are the new temple. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. We, God has come to live with us by his Spirit. Because of what Jesus has done, there's no longer all of this ceremony required for us to come to be with God. But he comes to be with us by his spirit. He dwells in every single person who believes in Jesus and puts their trust in him. So, by his help, by the help of the spirit, we can show the world around us his love and his grace and his goodness and we can shine his light in our world. When we can come to God and enjoy being with him each and every day because of the day of atonement when the perfect high priest made the perfect sacrifice, giving his life for ours, taking our sins far away like the scapegoat so that we could enter into the very throne room of God. Now in part having God's presence dwell in us and then one day in a city where there will not be any temple because God himself will live with us and we will be his people and he will be our God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, sometimes we can struggle when we come to books like Leviticus and we don't know much about making sin offerings and burnt offerings and pouring blood out on the horns of the altar. But what we do know is that when you came, Jesus, you said these words of the Old Testament. These are the things that testify about me. That's what you said. All of these things point us to you. The Day of Atonement points us to Easter, 
to the day where you would come, our perfect high priest who didn't need to make sin, uh, sacrifices for your own sins. You died in our place. Our sins are gone now as far as the east is from the west. And you have given us a way to be with God. You dwell with us by your Spirit. And by your Spirit you make us new people, full of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control. And we're not any of those things perfectly all of the time, but you are growing them in us. We pray that we might be able to be showing your goodness to the world around us. That in response to the atonement that you have given us, the relationship that we have with you, that we might likewise bring your goodness to the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood.